Dr. Miglior, thanks for coming on. This is our first uh, video episode of the AOC PMNR podcast. You have sort of carved out a niche for yourself in esports medicine. And I was wondering, can you just define what, what is esports medicine to you? Yeah, so I, that's a really, that's a really, that's first question that we, that I always get whenever I'm around doctors. Uh, the first thing is you got to know what esports is. And esports is competitive video gaming. Uh, so the esports industry generated $2 billion in revenue last year. That's competitive video gaming. That's not like Animal Crossing or, you know, you playing, buying extra levels on Candy Crush. It's competitive gaming. Um, well, I just had a flashback to medical school sitting in lecture <laughs> playing Candy Crush. Um, <laughs> Good times. Yes. And, um, you know, people can win $20 million in a weekend. Um, so these players, the ones competing in, in, um, in these games, train for like 9, 10, 12 hours a day, six days, six, seven days a week, um, and they get injuries. And so it's, it's taking care of uh, the health of competitive video gamers. That's great. Um, and I wrote down some little statistics that I, I think might be a good time to bring some of this up. So, like, why is esports a thing? Why is it worth consideration? Um, if we look at in terms of, like, viewership, the 2019 League of Legends World Championship averaged 21.8 million viewers. So I was the average, not like an all-time <laughs> peak. Their all-time right. peak, I think, was over, like, 100 million or something. Um, so for the NBA, the 2019 NBA finals averaged 15.14 million. So league of legends, this is one game that's one game. more average viewership than the NBA finals. Also, uh, the MLB world series in 2019 was only 13.91 million viewers and the Stanley cup 5.3 million viewers. So this wow. is, this is a single game that had average viewers higher than, um, sort of like three of the biggest sports in the world. The Super Bowl, I think, is still a little bit higher. The, the Super Bowl 54 averaged 102.1 million viewers. But still, I mean, it's the Super Bowl. And yeah. um, that's pretty impressive. And then in terms of earnings, uh, in the 2019 Fortnite World Cup, a 16-year-old named Kyle Giersdorf won $3 million. And okay. two weeks before that, uh, Novak Djokovic won the Wimbledon tournament and he only won 2.95, uh, $2.95 million. So there's more earnings in a single Fortnite game that a 16 year old just won than the best <laughs> tennis player of all time. Um, wow. Interesting viewpoint there. Interesting it, viewpoint. I think like, you know, I've always been sort of tangentially aware of like, yeah, everything is competitive. There's competitive axe throwing. There was like a, like a, carpentry team at my college where they would like chop down <laughs> trees and stuff you know so i know that there's like competitive scenes for everything but when you compare it to like these like you know these massive cultural icons like like hockey or or golf or tennis and you see that it's surpassing that and that's just for a single video game again um it, i mean there's a lot of stuff at stake here and, and there's like major sponsors like coca-cola and Red Bull, and this is an industry that generates so much money a year, and, mm -hmm. um, and especially during the pandemic. W one thing that mm -hmm. I saw was that the Twitch audience has grown by a third in just March, where all these other sports are just grinding to a halt. Um, Esports can continue, and, and all these competitive games like um, Overwatch um, and others, I, I, there was like all of them are continuing through this pandemic when everything else is shut down. Mm -hmm. So the, the viewership is only continuing is that kind of like a fair way to hype up what this is definitely definitely and esports was i think esports was set to eclipse the super bowl by 2025 uh but 
you know, with this, with the pandemic times, we'll see, we'll see. Maybe 2021 is the year. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. I mean, if, if this season gets shut down um, or if we have a resurgence, you know, there's no yeah. reason this could be the only thing people are watching. Um, so backing up just a little bit, I was wondering, can you talk to us about uh, your journey through medicine thus far? Um, where are you now? What, what brought you into medicine and what brought you into the field of PM&R specifically? That's a good question. I, you know, when everyone asks, you know, why did you want to be a doctor, right? That was the, that was the, the med school question. And then the residency question. And truthfully, I was in eighth grade and I really admired my literature teacher, like admired her, thought she was the best. And she was talking about a class of hers from like 10 years prior. And she said, you know, that was my, that was my best class. Eight of them became medical doctors. And I said, oh, Mrs. Stashu respects doctors. I'm, an, I'm gonna be a doctor. And then I was just so stubborn that I did it. I actually did it. Um, luckily, I love it, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> there are other reasons that I eventually went to medical school and residency, but I like that story better. Um, and, you know, I was in medicine, um, you know, doing, doing your fourth year rotations and everyone, had their field, right? Like ever since first year, there was always the cardiologist and someone who's, who knew they were going to be a surgeon and like would practice knitting in class because they wanted like ambi to be ambidextrous. Uh, I liked everything was my problem. I really liked medicine. I really liked peds except for, you know, the whole parental aspect. That was, that was uh, having three extra, two extra patients was never fun. Um, I really liked surgery. I loved surgery. Uh, and then I loved emergency medicine and I went to, to match and went to, went to apply for, you know, residency programs. And I applied to five different specialties. I was like, I have no idea what I want to do. And then one of my buddies was like, what about physiatry? And I was like, what do you mean? What about physiatry? Like, what is physiatry? And I learned about it and I, you know, went and did my rotations and I loved it. It was, I, in medicine, sometimes I felt like we were just keeping people going until the next thing came up. We weren't really doing a lot um, for the patient, and, which is not true, which is not how I believe about medicine, but it just kind of felt like I was keeping people going. And in physiatry, I feel like we're really making people better. We're making people heal, you know, we're, we're healing people. We're getting them, we're making them love their lives again. You know, there's nothing better than when someone comes in after a stroke and, you know, you can just see the defeat, you can see how sad they are about their life. And then by the time you discharge them, they're up and walking and, you know, talking smack about the Redskins to you. And like that's, I just, physiatry is just so rewarding. Um, and another big part of it was I thought about, you know, I thought about how much I loved emergency medicine. I thought I still do, but then I thought about what I wanted to be doing when I was 40. Did I want to be working 12 hour shifts? Um, you know, and, 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 and doing all of that, or did I want to have a, you know, a outpatient practice where my patients were consistent and, you know, people were, I was, I was doing the things that I love. So physiatry kind of just fell into my lap and I am so, so very happy with it. That's awesome. Uh, I, I have like a similar kind of background going in. I'm still a third year medical school, uh, mm. but this is something I want to do. And I was dead set on surgery before. And 
I did all this research and I was in all these organizations and I was very invested in the surgery route. And right. I, I really just had this like change of heart where I, I was like, I don't know if I uh, hate myself enough to do this for, for the rest of my <laughs> life. I, I, it's amazing. And, and, you know, I worked in the OR before starting medical school, mm-hmm. um, but it was just like a whole other responsibility. If you're an yeah. orderly who gets to scrub in and retract, it, everything's awesome because you have like no responsibility or accountability. And it seems like a very different uh, when it's your medical license on the line yeah. and you're the one who has to like put these hours in. I just get called in for like random. Can you hold this? Can you do yeah. that? Uh, it's Suction. a whole other ball game. Um, so I, I really had like this uh, sort of existential crisis where for so long surgery was this thing I wanted to do. And then I, you know, I, uh, I have a daughter now and, and it changed wow, a lot of my perspective. And, and I was like, I don't know if I can do this, you know? Yeah. So, but PM&R, I've just been really invested in it. And it seems like very lifestyle friendly, right? It yes, seems like yes. People enjoy it. And when I think about like esports medicine, what I imagine it is, and I guess we'll get into that more in a second. Um, it seems like PM&R would be a very natural fit for that, like a lot of uh, the interventional stuff and EMGs. Um, so how did you sort of, when did you start cultivating, uh, bringing like your personal interests um, about like esports or gaming and bringing that into a more professional realm? How, what was that process like? When did you start seeing yourself as the, the gamer doc? <laughs> also, you definitely have the traps of an orthopedic surgeon. You said surgeon, and I was like, orthopedic surgeon for sure. That was, <laughs> I want. I worked for an ortho spine guy, and I was like, I want to be that guy, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then after sure. a while, I'm like, I don't know if I want to be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe for like a day. Um, so I've always been a gamer. Uh, I, I've been gaming since I was six years old. Uh, in med school, I was in a long distance relationship. So that meant every night I would, you know, you'd study until eight or nine. And then I play video games until like 1am. And you know how it is when you first start going to medical school, first year, second year, everyone in your life starts asking you medical questions, right? Like, they're like, Hey, can you prescribe me antibiotics yet? Hey, can you call this into my pharmacy? Like, well, you know what this rash is? Oh, yeah. My, my grandma calls me all the time. Like, tell me all about the coronavirus. You know, I'm like, yeah. I got a five minute sketchy video I could regurgitate to you. It's it's not going to help, but I can pretend. <laughs> uh, you're like, I know a lot about biochemistry. Yeah. Is, is this helpful, help? grandma? You want to know about the Krebs, Krebs cycle? cycle? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cells. Yeah, yeah. Does that help? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this was happening in real life when I was going to med school, but it was also happening every night when I was playing Call of Duty. I was playing Modern Warfare 2, I think, at the time. And my buddies were asking me medical questions. And it would, some of them would be about like a cough or whatever. But and some of them, most of them would be about wrist pain or hand pain or neck pain or back pain. But like my buddies were 20 years old, you know, things that normal 20 year olds, unless you're in medical school, don't have. And I go to their doctor's. I, I, you know, I tell them to leave me alone because I'm playing video games. I don't want to talk about medicine. And they go to their doctors and their doctors would tell them to stop playing video games. Hey, it hurts when you play video games. Just stop playing video games, uh, which is not an acceptable answer to me. It's not. It's not. Uh, you wouldn't tell a marathon runner, hey, you know, running, I guess, just not for you anymore. You know, like gaming is has always been my one of my biggest passions. Gaming has always been. Um, very healthy for me because it's a stress reliever and gaming has been a way that I've kept in touch with a lot of my friends throughout my life. Uh, so 
that just, it, that's really when it started. It just became an unacceptable answer. Um, and then the summer between med school and intern year, uh, the day after graduation, I put all my stuff in storage, packed a bag and I hiked the Appalachian Trail. And um, while I was on the Appalachian Trail, you have a lot of time to yourself. Um, you have a lot of time to think. And I thought a lot about a lot of stuff. And one of them was about what I want to spend my life doing. And gaming is, is my passion, like I said. And, and I why would I not want to do that? Why would I not want to pursue my passion? Um, so that kind of when the idea for me was formed and um, at AAP 2018, no, A, no, it was AAP Menar 2018. It was in Atlanta. Um, yeah, I was out resident at the resident dinner, you know, the program director takes us all out to dinner and had, uh, you know, maybe one or two many glasses of wine. And I told everyone at the table what my idea was. I said, this is what I want to do. And everyone at the table was like, that's an amazing idea. That's a great idea. So then I, I that that night I went home and I bought the domain name and I got the Twitter handle, signed up for Twitter. I'd never used Twitter in my life before. Um, didn't even have Facebook. All I had was an Instagram that I post regularly. I posted it regularly on. I went home and I and I I got the Twitter and, and that's October of 2018. It's been going going strong since. So as like a would you consider this a field or a specialty or is your role more of like an advocate for here's some preventative stuff you can do? Um, what is like your your role then? Are you the team doc? Does someone like blow out their ACL and you go in and you know <laughs> yeah. like what is that in, in a competitive aspect or is it more of like a spreading awareness? Um, what does that look like for you in practice? So there are, um, I would say probably 10 physicians in the country doing this right now. Uh, and there's people like Dr. Melita Moore, who she's a, you know, PM&R trained sports medicine doctor, who is the head team doctor for our NBA 2K team in here in DC. And that's what she does, right? So she's there at their practices. She's there at their competitions. She's traveling all over the world. She travels all over the world for the for the USA Polo team, but she also travels for um, esports. So she's the one there, overseeing their training, um, treating their injuries, seeing you know seeing them for their injuries. Um, and there's people out in uh, California doing that as well. And that is definitely a field that I saw myself doing, right? I've, I, I was going to do a sports fellowship before I decided to not pursue a fellowship and do this full time. Um, and that's what I want to do. I love silent training. But if I am a head doctor for an esports team, um, I have a team of like 15 people, right? And I can make them the best athletes that I think I can make them, you know, I can prevent their injuries. I can treat them with OMM. I can, you know, make sure that they are in tip top shape. That's, I have, that means I have an N of 15, right? Um, and I started, I, I sat back and I really thought about where my talents are and what makes me happy. And what makes me happy, my favorite part of the uh, office visit with a patient is talking to them about the preventative stuff, talking to them about the education. Like here are all these stretches you can do to prevent this from happening. Um, so I decided that instead of directly treating patients, my skills were best served in taking the information that's out there, taking the information that you know Dr. Moore is researching and coming up with and the people at NYIT are coming up with, taking that and making it into a palatable, entertaining format and then broadcasting it for the rest of the world. You know, there's 40 million Americans 
play video games. Wait, no, no, no. it's 49% of Americans. So whatever, is that like half, 150? Half, half of yeah. America. Half of America, let's make it easy. Um, so if I make one video about, hey, just adjust the angle of your keyboard a little bit and that's gonna help you prevent carpal tunnel syndrome and then 10,000 people see that, then I have an N of 10,000. So what All I'm right. doing is I am, I'm taking the information and educating people on it. So that's where I'm at. Great, right now. great. Um, and if I were to imagine this field is like, it's a very nascent field, right? There's not a lot of people, you said like 15 in the whole country are doing mm -hmm. this right now. Um, and if your role is like more of like an advocacy thing, I, I can also imagine like having like in practice a real on the like boots on the ground team doctor that makes perfect sense to me. They have, um, I believe there is a fellowship for performing arts for like piano players or violinists. And it's very focused on these small, like micro actions with your hands, like mm -hmm. dexterity skills. And to me, this is something that is very applicable to, to video games or Definitely. on a keyboard or a controller. It's the same kind of injuries. Um, and speaking of which, what kind of injuries do you do you try to prevent? What what do you see the most in, in gamers? What what's something that's on the horizon that everyone should be aware of? High level video gamers, uh, people who are playing games with a lot of keyboard clicks. Um, so when we talk about gaming, you know, some of it is controller gaming, like Xbox. You're sitting on the couch with your buddy and your co you're doing couch co op. Some of it's controller games like Rocket League, um, games like NBA 2K are uh, on the controller, but most of competitive gaming is done on a, on a PC. Um, so with your left hand, you have your hands on the keys and with your right hand, you have your hands on the mouse. Um, and that left hand can do sometimes up to 600 actions per minute, um, which is a huge amount, 600 actions. So that's like 10 a second. Um, and as, as you could imagine from those repetitive motions with the tiny little muscles of our hands and wrists that really aren't meant to be doing the things that they're doing. Um, you get a lot of, of tendon issues. You get a lot of tendonitis, but a lot of tendinopathy too, right? They're not, they're not blowing out their ECU from tapping shift too many times. They're creating micro traumas over and over and over again. And, and as a result, there's this pathologic response in the tendon and you get tendinopathy. And then, you know, two weeks later, they go bowling with their buddies and they go to throw the bowling ball and bam, ECU tendonitis because of those micro traumas have been building up and building up. So we see a lot of hand and wrist injuries. Um, we see a lot of nerve injuries too. You know, people, they're a little bit young for carpal tunnel, but uh, a lot of cubital tunnel from the, from the side of the chair. Um, outside of the hand and wrist, a lot of back pain. So it's not necessarily like we're seeing disorders, we're seeing just mechanical back pain, but it's in a 19 year old, right? And it's, it's affecting their lives. Um, Lower extremity injuries as well. We see a lot of hip flexion tightness. Um, people are susceptible to DVTs. Uh, we're seeing a lot. Of really interesting, but like not you know not good is a lot of esports players are suffering from pneumothoraxes. Actually, um, wow, interesting. Very interesting, right? We we're not quite sure of the connection. I have theories, but I, we're not quite sure about the connection. Uh, a lot of eye issues too. Eye strain is, is, is huge in the gaming population. I mean, it's huge in med students too. Um, and then mental health. Mental health is a huge component of esports medicine. Um, the grind is very taxing. If you want to make it to this level of performance, if you want to make it, if you want to be sponsored by one of these teams, you have to work um, 
for many years without, without a lot of recognition, without a lot of payoff. And then um, once you make it, there's a long line, thousands of people behind you um, who are chomping at the bit for your spot. So you right. have to remain competitive. Um, so mental health is a huge compo- component of esports medicine too. Yeah, I, I didn't really think about the mental health part of it. Um, and, and you said in your own experience, like video games has been a way of like connecting you to people like long distance and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I could also imagine for other people, it could be an isolation thing. If, if you are practicing, if you are like grinding, trying to get the best reaction and stuff, I, I could see that being something that you do alone. And it, it's probably kind of isolating. I, mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about the mental health part of that. Um, and it's interesting when you said earlier that people tend to just say, stop playing video games. There's this sort of cavalier attitude about dismissing something like that. Um, like it's like this thing that p- people can just stop doing, even though it's extremely common. And a lot of people, you know, it is a pastime. Like it's something that I have done passively for like, you know, blowing off steam at the end of the day. But it, it's almost like there's this stigma against it where. Uh, my instinct is to like not tell anyone in my professional life about that, you know. And, and I wonder, do you face that same sort of judgment in the esports medicine world? Are there people who are like, like, why are you doing this? This isn't serious. This is this is for children, you know. Like, do you yeah. have that kind of wall um, when you try to like spread your ideas and stuff? The first thing that you usually hear when you talk about esports medicine as a subspecialty amongst other doctors is just laughter, right? It's like. What they think I'm joking, right? Yeah, like that, um, that can't be a thing, right? Right. Yeah, and then you have to explain esports to them, and then you have first you explain video games, then you explain esports, and then you explain that they. And then as soon as you call these people athletes, then they lose it, right? Then they lose it. I just argue that you know these people are making money and they are um, performing at a level that none of us are able to perform at using the skills of their body, using the way that they've trained their body. So. If golf, if, if, if golf is a sport, gaming is the sport. That's my thought process. Um, but yeah, there definitely is a stigma. Uh, I mean, I know it's not like a stigma, but there definitely is no recognition of the field right now. Uh, it's, it's just people aren't aware of it. Um, once people, once you explain it, people tend to be a lot more receptive and they, they realize uh, the need for it. But in the beginning, there definitely is a lot of disbelief. Um, I've gotten a lot of bad advice from, from people, um, who are supposed to be, you know, in, who are in leadership. I've gotten a lot of bad advice from other physicians before. What kind of uh, bad advice? Do you mind sharing some? I'm just curious. So I, I am not pursuing a sports medicine fellowship. Um, I withdrew my application after having lots of interviews. Um, and you're a PGY4, correct? Like you're, mm-hmm, yeah. you're finishing up residency right now. Okay. Yep. Uh, and to some people that seems like a bad idea to not do a, you know, a year of, of, of another year of fellowship. Um, but esports is, is changing so rapidly. Um, you know, when I first started doing this there, I couldn't find another position doing this. Um, and now there's like 10 of us. So it's, it's growing rapidly. Um, not only is it, you know, a huge need, you know, there's so many people out there who need who need what we have to say. And there's not enough of us. Like we need more physicians doing this. I would love some healthy competition. Um, so it's not only is it, is there a, a, a need to be filled, but also it's, it's an excellent business opportunity. Um, 
you know, if whenever I have the chance to do what I love and get paid for it, I'm going to, I'm going to jump at that, at that decision. So, um, people, people real, I think people realize the smart ones realize it after I, after I talk to them about the revenue and the amount of people who, um, need a physician. So, yeah. So when we were setting up this podcast, you had mentioned that you had like three other interviews for podcasts this week. And so I just went on Spotify and I looked up like GamerDoc and I saw all these other podcasts that you've already been interviewed for. And so when I see something like that, uh, it, it tells me that there is this demand for something that doesn't exist, right? Like mm -hmm. you're supplying this thing that people didn't know that they wanted, that they were curious about. And so, you know, in my eyes, that makes a lot of sense from like a, like a personal branding or a like feeling a medical need also, you know, yeah. but it just seems mm -hmm. like there's this, there's this lack of something that people definitely want to be more exposed to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, it's funny. I've never done that. I've never searched my name on, on Spotify. A lot of the podcasts I do are on um, Twitch too. So I, I didn't even know some of them might be on Spotify too. Huh. I'm going to do that after, after this call. Yeah. There's, there's like, uh, there's several. That's what I saw. <laughs> I've been listening. I'm trying not to tread over the same ground that other people have asked you. I know I have uh, already, you know, cause that's what I want to know is like the injuries and stuff. Um, one thing I also wanted to ask you, oh yeah, OMT. Do you use OMT on your patients? Do you recommend that? Is there like an application for that, for like eSport related injuries? I love OMT. I One of the five fellowships that I applied for, uh, or uh, residency categories I applied for was a neuromuscular medicine fellowship. Uh, Is that the, I, the one in New York? There's a couple of them. There's one in New York. Um, there was one in Western Michigan. I think it's gone now. There's one at MSU. There's one at West Virginia. Um, I think there's one at Toro too. I'm not sure though. Awesome. Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm um, an osteopathic fellow at my school. So I'm always looking for like, where can we fit nice. this in? What can we do with this? You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, so, you know, uh, OMT is, is it's magic. Let's just be honest. Let's just be completely honest. What we know is pure magic. Right. Uh, it's so needed. It's so needed in, in all of us. And, and even in those who aren't using their bodies to perform, I use OMT as frequently as I possibly can. As you know, it gets a little bit tedious. Um, and it takes a little, a, a long time to do. So doing it on every patient every day is, is hard, but, um, I use it when I, you know, when I, and all of my patients and most of my patients and my outpatient team in our practice for residency. Um, but, I use a lot of osteopathic principles when I'm teaching other people about stuff too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Golgi tendon reflex, muscle spindle reflex, but I don't, I don't use big words like that. But uh, a lot of what I do is based in OMT. A lot of the uh, stretches and exercises that I give is based in OMT. I think it's, I think if you're in osteopathic medical school and you're not like taking full advantage of your OMT lab, First of all, there's a huge need, right? Lots of people need it. But second of all, an outpatient OMT practice, even half a day a week can be, can supplement the rest of your practice. I'm always on the business side. The business side is something that they don't teach you in medical school, right, but you right. realize becomes more and more important as you go through your career. Yeah. That, that's the one thing that I'm constantly thinking about, especially this field that we've joined. It, it seems like it's shifting all the time. There's mm -hmm. huge legislative changes every year and it just feels like we started playing a game that was like chess and then now it's like Yahtzee or, or something else. And that <laughs> yeah. freaks me out that like this, there's the shifting landscape and I just want to make sure, mm -hmm. you know, so I, I do not fault you at all for that. There's almost like this 
this thought that you shouldn't be thinking about the business side at all in medicine. You should just be this altruistic, mm-hmm. benevolent person who wants to help people, which you should also. But you want to like know how to navigate that in the real world. And I yeah. think I think that's really smart to like keep focusing on business sides of it. Um, yeah. It's like the circle of life of, of young doctors. You graduate from residency, you get a job at a big healthcare practice. Maybe you work there for a couple of years and then you go into a smaller private practice, right? And then when you're in your late 40s, early 50s, you open up your own practice because you realize the business sense along the way. You get smarter. Sure, like working for a large conglomerate can make you really happy, but um, having the ability and having the knowledge to be able to be your own bosses. You can you can make the decisions that you want to make, and you can um, you know I think better serve your patients when you're doing it the way that you want to do it. So right. yeah, it's we should it's a shame that more people aren't taught the business side of it early on. Um, I remember on one of the podcasts I had heard you were interviewed on. You mentioned you had a business coach. Can you talk a little bit about that? Has that been really essential, or how has that helped you? Uh, there's YouTube videos on literally everything everything and you can get better at everything um and so one of the things that i always do is if i'm going to do something i like to do it right so um public speaking you can watch you can get better at public speaking everyone just says oh i'm not good at public speaking you can you can get better you can watch youtube videos you can get a coach you can practice and you will get better at public speaking hey i'm trying um, as best as i can okay you don't have to rub it in it's our first <laughs> video episode like, i'm trying i wore a tie for you man i wore a tie i'm wearing a tie in my own house all right no i, I i'm with you i'm just playing yeah <laughs> uh and so one of the things is there's there's lots of um business resources available. So I started out just looking at them on YouTube, listening to podcasts. Um, But most people, most areas have small business associations. um, And DC, I'm lucky enough that we have a women's business association that has a bunch of free resources, a bunch of free resources. Um, So before this pandemic happened, um, I was going into the business center and um, just running my ideas by this like brilliant woman who should have been paid like a thousand dollars an hour for her skills but was um and then would just help me and and coach and give me you know point me in the right direction so it's great so i'm I'm pandemic pandemic times man yeah i wanted to ask you about that too um i guess i'll kind of combine this with can you tell us a little bit about your you're at the medstar georgetown pmnr residency (laughs) and especially during these pandemic times what is that done to your day-to-day practice are you seeing like did they just bump you to the front lines are you just doing covid patients all day or is it business as usual like what does that look like for you and and what is like the georgetown residency like in general so we are very lucky in terms of other programs like the new york pmnr programs are running the services on their own or they're working in ICUs right now. We have been very lucky. We have not been pulled from rehab coverage. Uh, There's been talks about it, but we haven't been pulled from rehab coverage. So uh, right now I'm just working in the rehab hospital. A lot of the COVID patients, uh, when they maybe are off the ventilators, um, you know, the question is what then, right? Uh, So a lot of them are very deconditioned, have been vent dependent for months and haven't been up out of bed for two months. Uh, so they're coming to our rehab hospital. Um, the, they're still COVID positive. They still are 
um, infectious, you still have to be in a negative pressure room with full PPE and 95 face shield, um, but they need rehab and they need rehab doctors taking care of them. So it has changed. Um, you know, they're a significant portion of our patient care right now. Um, the hospital, I can't really go into specifics, but the hospital layout has changed. Um, so it's, it's been, it's been different. Um, it feels, so for the past couple of months or for, for April, I was doing telemedicine. Uh, I was doing just like outpatient PM&R telemedicine mm -hmm. and the, the, the sense of waiting and not helping was worse than, you know, being exposed to coronavirus every day. It was worse. Now, you know, cause this is what we, this is what we're trained for. This is what, this is why we went into medicine, right? Was when other people are running away from the disaster, you have to run towards it. So this is what we trained for. And to finally, you know, be able to help and be able to lay, like actually lay my hands on these people and, and take care of their medical needs is, it feels, it feels good. It does. Um, it's better than it was better than doing telemedicine and just treating back pain, to be honest with you. <laughs> I think a lot of medical students feel the same way. I, I think there's like this desire to help. And like, I obviously don't have all the training I need to help out. And so I can't do anything and we can't even be on rotations. And a lot of my, you know, classmates were just frustrated. We want to do something. We see all this yeah. stuff in the news and we just want to help. And, you know, there's some people coming up with kind of innovative ways to help out in terms of offering to babysit or yes. get groceries for like your local hospital, but it's really like regional dependent if that's even necessary, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so but that's awesome that you've been able to, you know, get exposed to that and you've been able to work and help people. And I, I imagine that's gotta be very rewarding, especially when, you know, everyone just knows how big of a deal this is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then to answer the second part of your question, Georgetown residency, um, it's great. There's lots of opportunities uh, you know, working where National Rehab Hospital is the largest rehab hospital for 150 miles. It's the best rehab hospital in the area. Um, and it's right, you know, it's in downtown DC or not downtown, but it's in DC proper. Um, so you get a, a, a wide variety of patient care opportunities. Um, my favorite part about Georgetown though, is our adaptive sports program. So we, uh, have a very robust adaptive sports program, um, can you wheelchair basketball, wheelchair rugby oh. We have very good teams, right? Our, our, we have, you know, Paralympians on our teams. So it's very, it's, it's very cool. So yeah, awesome. Georgetown's great. That's awesome. Um, I wanted to ask you also, so your focus on, uh, going back to sort of the esports side of things, um, what would be the difference between like your focus and someone who sees like a, like a white collar business guy who's in a cubicle, crunching away on a keyboard all day has that threat of like that kind of lifestyle that's, that's been around. Um, how is it different having like a, a focus on esports or esports athletes? Um, how is that different than just focusing someone who's already in a cubicle, you know, the same kind of postural problems? Um, what's the difference, I guess. That's actually where I get a lot of my data from, to be honest with you about the ergonomic side of it, because the, the, the field is so new that, the studies that we have looking at injuries in, in these people is like an N of 40, you know? So, but if you look at large ergonomic studies on office workers, you have a lot of really good data. Uh, the, so I, I actually, there's not a big difference in, in the ergonomic side of it, right? So um, appropriate chair height, appropriate desk height, appropriate monitor height, keyboard angle, 
um, mouse angle. Those are all things that we draw from 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 that population. Um, but that is really where the similarities end. Uh, you know how how healthily your desk should be set up is where the similarities end, um, because you know office workers they're they're getting up, they're taking breaks, uh, they aren't so immersed in what they're doing that they don't forget to pee or eat for 12 hours. Um, unless you're like a really good worker, but you know, you're not, you're not doing the amount of things that these esports athletes are doing. You're not, you know, unless you're typing 600 words per minute, um, you're just not, you know, doing the, the same types of things. Um, and then the, you know, the, like the mental side is so different, but you're totally right. The office worker population is great. It's great. That similarity is great because we get a lot of good data from those people. So that's a good question. And can you briefly tell us what are some of like the big tips and advice that you give people for like, you know, the 2020, 20 rule, is that right? The 2020, 20 rule. Yeah, good job, good and, job. uh, what, what other recommendations do you have? You're like, what kind of recommendations do you have for someone who sits at their desk all yeah. day? Let me someone just write like me this down. Virtual didactics and you know, <laughs> studying all day long. What what should I do? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, the 2020-20 rule is a great one. So uh, for those of you who don't know, every 20 minutes of looking at a um, computer screen, you want to look at a spot 20 feet away for 20 seconds. And that uh, is going to you know help you keep your eyes healthy, prevent accommodative spasm, um, you know, give your eyes a little bit of a break. Um, get your eyes checked every year, right? That's like a, that's a big one. So the, the experts recommend for high risk populations, getting your eyes checked every year. And if gamers aren't high risk or if med students who stare at computer screens all day aren't high risk, then I don't know who is. Um, making sure your setup is ergonomic is really important. I think that a lot of us who might be working at home more often and maybe don't have the same chair that we do at work or at school, um, or maybe we're working at our kitchen table, that can be really difficult. And so, you know, it's these little things that build up over time that cause the back pain. So um, making sure that the chair you're in, your hips are not below your knees, making sure you're at the top of your monitors at eye level and it's an arm's length away, um, making sure that you don't have too much of a bend in your elbows is super important. For a lot of people who are from working from home right now, I say get a get a Bluetooth keyboard because if you're on your laptop, you're not going to be your arms and your head aren't going to be in the correct position, right? Because you're either going to be up here or looking down here. Uh, so getting a Bluetooth keyboard is super important. And then taking breaks, taking breaks to stretches is huge. I'm not, I'm a big fan of. Um, you know, the little things building up over time rather than making big drastic life changes. So every hour or so, just like getting up and, and doing a sun salutation or doing your favorite stretch or doing a chest opener. You know, we, we spend all of our day internally rotated and right in front of us and we never do this, right? When's the last time you like put your arms back unless you do yoga. Um, so just, just reaching up and doing, doing like a wall slide. Oh my God, wall slides are the worst, but they're so good for you. So putting your back your, your shoulders, your elbows, and your hands and your butt against the wall, and then just doing a wall slide up and down. Um, those can be just life-changing. Um, so th those are really my, my biggest tips are making sure your setup's ergonomic, taking care of your eyes, and then taking stretch breaks. Awesome. So when I went into Staples the other day to look for a better webcam than the one that I have, um, for this specific interview, I, I see these like gamer chairs that are like these Star Trek monstrosities. Oh my God. Do we all need those? Is that oh is that God. the future? I was actually just 
quoted in an article about gaming chairs. Um, it's the biggest waste of money that has ever been. It's just, it's marketing, right? It's marketing. Yeah. These chairs are $40 office chairs that they slap orange paint on, put a good logo on, and then, you know, mark it up to $300. Um, chairs are, chairs are important. Sure. If you want a nice chair, if you get up, if you want to spend $700 on a Herman Miller office chair, you're, you're going to have, you know, a better time, but it's about posture it really is. I'm sitting in an Ikea chair, an Ikea dining room table chair. I don't have a desk chair. I don't have an office chair because I don't want to like be sitting back in it all day. You know, I want to be sitting up with good posture, attracting mm -hmm. my core. Um, but gaming chairs are atrocious. I hate the little pillows. The little pillows get me every time just don't understand the pillows um but, but man, yeah, yeah don't they look cool though you know <laughs> you could really do something in that chair right and and the, the gaming chairs came from um people having a bunch of racing chairs left over and then marketing it redesigning it and selling them as gaming chairs and that's why they look like that and that's racing chairs are terrible for 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 sitting in they're bucket seats um you can't move around so wow. it's it's just it's not based on science well that's good to know uh, so, uh, do you have any advice for someone who is interested in PM&R in terms of like getting into a residency and also for someone, what if they wanted to do what you do, uh, focus on esports? how could they get involved and get started in that? Do they just have to sort of pave the way because there really isn't anyone doing it and it's really, you know, you're the one setting it up or what, what advice would you have for those people? I think that, uh, every single med student should be on social media in a professional setting. Uh, social media, Twitter, professional Twitter is your living resume. Uh, the connections you make on Twitter, the, the people you engage with on Twitter, you would never normally interact with. Um, but if you have a uh, social media and you use it correctly, you can engage with the chair of PM&R in any program you want to. Um, you can get your name found out. I remember we had this medical student a year ago who, you know, was very active on Twitter. And my program director was like, she's the one, she's the one who's famous on Twitter. And it was like a big, it was a big deal. Um, and, you know, using, using social media you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, if you wanted to, to get your name out there, you had to pick up the phone, you had to call someone, you had to meet them at a conference, go shake their hand at a conference. And like now all you need is your phone. All you need is, you know, you can be your own publicist, you can be your own marketing director, you can be your own business coach. If you make a professional Twitter, slap a professional photo on it, um, make your username, Dr. Miglior, whatever doctor, and then your last name, and then just comment on other people's posts for two weeks and just, you know, look at the people that you interact with. So I would say if you want to be involved in PMR, PMR loves Twitter. PMR loves Twitter. Yeah, um, I've just been discovering that. That's how I, I think I found you. I, I just searched <laughs> these terms like PMR, physiatry, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And I think that's how I ended up following you. And then I was like, oh, that's interesting. Esports medicine, never heard of that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So getting on Twitter is, is huge. Um, and it's also a way for you to make whatever field you want to make um you it allows us to reach people who we can't reach it allows us to to get our message out there so if you want to start something if you want to do something just do it and also just do it you know like your idea is going to be trash in the beginning like my idea for what gamer doc was two years ago was nothing like what it is today and what it's going to be like two years from now is nothing like what it was today so 
Yeah, what, what do you see in the future? I was going to ask you that too. Like, what, what's the future of esports medicine or, or what's the future of GamerDoc, what you're doing specifically? <laughs> so the future of esports medicine is an easier question. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot more physicians in it, a lot more physicians in it. Uh, more and more large healthcare conglomerates are partnering with esports organizations. Um, Orlando Health and Magic Gaming, MedStar and NBA 2K, the Wizard Sister Gaming, Monumental Esports. Um, I think there's going to be a lot more partnerships. And, you know, right now, who might be treating those patients might just be a normal sports medicine doctor who the only thing they know about gaming is Fortnite from their six-year-old. But if you're in that conglomerate, if you're one of those sports medicine doctors and you say, hey, I, I know about esports. I've read these papers. I know that I can treat them. Like that's an opportunity for you. Uh, so I think we're going to have more providers who know what, who, who, who really know what they're doing, treating these patients. Um, I think that, you know, we're going to have a society for esports medicine, like we do for regular sports medicine, like we do for PM&R. I think there's going to be a lot more training programs that you have to pay for um, online. Of I think course. there's going to be a lot of literature. Um, yeah, of course. No, I know it's like, I, <laughs> there's so many, there's so many ways. And then the same, you know, the question that you asked about what I see my future, that's such a good segue because there are so many things that I can do right now. There are so many, if you want to be in esports medicine, there are so many things that we need. There are so many things to do. You can treat casual gamers. You can treat the pros. You can only do performance stuff. You can only do eye training and, and people will need you. People will want you. So my future, we'll see. Um, I've got a couple big things in the works that I can't talk about. Um, Ooh, okay. All right. <laughs> But uh, yeah, <laughs> I've been a little bit, I've been a little bit um, like hamstrung the past couple, you know, since, since, since inception, because I am under my residency contract. I am under a contract with MedStar. Right. So I officially can't incorporate a business. I officially cannot um, take money for services yet. So, and when you don't take money for services, people don't respect you. And um, so, it's you know, not real till you're making money, right? Exactly. So July 1st incorporating. Um, and then I, I have a whole business plan that I'm launching. Um, so, so ask me that question July 2nd. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll table this for now. We'll revisit <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it in a few months. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you also about uh, like having social media and stuff. Like I have a professional Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of people are anonymizing themselves on social media. Um, and I know that, you know, you have been on podcasts. I know you stream on Twitch. Um, is there, are you worried about like being professional at all times? It seems like you want to like let loose in some of that <laughs> stuff, but like, can you? And I feel like people are getting in trouble for professionalism, which when you think about it, I feel like it's, it's more of a vague thing, uh, mm -hmm. then what does that mean? Being professional? It's just never offending anyone, always saying polite, like not acknowledging video games. Cause that's not professional. You know, like that's <laughs> right. How, yeah. That, that would be my instinct on it, you know? Um, so how does that, like, do, what is that like? Like if you're going to be, you know, out in the public, do you have to change your behavior or do you just keep yourself reined in at all times? Is, is that something you worry about? Or is it just something that you just, you know, that's what being an adult professional is, you know, you just, <laughs> it, it's a role you just are. You, you have some, you're coming up with some good questions. You get, you get it A. You get Sorry, it A on I, this I didn't rotation. write this one down for you. This is just off the, off the top. So <laughs> I think that as physicians, uh, let's be honest, we all have a little bit of an ego. Um, we, 
especially when you get further into your career, professionalism becomes a lot less about how to gain the respect of the people around you. And it becomes a lot more about gatekeeping, I think. Um, I think that when people use the term professionalism, um, I don't think they mean professionalism. Uh, so my, my theory on all of this is the same that I am with my patients. Um, what matters at the end of the day is that they trust you and they listen to you. <laughs> and I've always thought that same thing. Like I, yeah. you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to insist, call me Dr. Agate at all times. You know, like I, I don't, it's important. Um, but like, I personally don't care, you know, yeah. but, but I know people would like, uh, important people have told me you must like everyone is doctor even if they say oh mm -hmm. call me jeff you call them doctor mm -hmm. and if they're not wearing socks during their interview uh they're not getting in because you, if you're yeah, not yeah, wearing yeah. socks you're you can't be trusted to practice medicine gatekeeping yeah gatekeeping. It's gatekeeping i think that just putting having a little bit of empathy and having a little bit of um humanism in your in your patient interactions goes a lot more than goes a lot further than a white coat. And that is how I try and do Gamer Doc, right? I, I want people to respect me so they listen to what I say, um, but I don't want them to fear me. I don't want them to think that I am like this holier than thou doctor. I'm, right. I'm a human, I'm a person, and I just happen to be a doctor and a gamer. So that is what I do when I'm out in public. That's what I do when I'm on podcasts, unless you see the ones after 10 p.m. Um, and that's that's kind of the air that I try and incorporate into my life. So, yeah, it does seem like doctors are on this pedestal and that you almost need to be like this God to treat you mm -hmm. know, humans. But really, we're humans like trying to treat humans, you know, right. Um, but still, like, I, I understand that professional professionalism is important you know yes um, definitely. that is why i am wearing a tie right now i some <laughs> some weird perspective i'm like this is professional this will this look good. you know and, you look and, nice and, too you hey, look thank nice. you i really tried i really really <laughs> i ironed this shirt and everything um but uh it, it also just seems like this kind of scary ground to to be on too that um like i you mentioned that you wanted to like go into English or literature, and I had a similar background. I, I loved my English classes. I thought I was going to be a high school English teacher, and I, I like to write creatively, right? And I, mm -hmm. I write about sort of like blogging about medical school and sort of I, in a funny little way, or I say things maybe, and it's nothing is like bad in it, but it's my personality, and it's like weird, goofy takes that yeah, like yeah, yeah. I think it's my literary voice or whatever, and then, you know, I'll get this published online and then I'll think, God, should I be doing this? Like, is this going to, is someone going to look at this and say unprofessional? If you're, if you're like <laughs> referencing uh, Lord of the Rings or something, when you're talking about like you trekking to Mordor is like studying for step one. Is someone going to read that and be like, get out of here. You're, you yeah. Know? And so yeah, should yeah. I, it's part of me is nerd. always thinking like, um, should I be canning this stuff? You know, should I wait till like until after medical school and then after residency and then after fellowship when I'm yeah. totally autonomous and then I can have a, a personality again? Or or do I, uh, you know, just try to, it's this precarious thing you're just kind of perched on and, you know, mm -hmm. not trying to balance out and, and, you know, being too unprofessional or being too robotic. Um, but it's something I think about a lot. And, and, you know, you have a very public persona with GamerDoc and it's, it's just interesting to hear your take on it. Yeah, you just I whenever it's it's such a hard decision because like you're you're saying that you know you, you hit the nail on the head you're you're in med school and then you have to apply for residency so your situation is also a lot different than mine I I never have to work for someone I I have no plans of working of having a boss ever again in my life after 
June 30th. Um, Sounds awesome. And that was one of my goals. That's one of my personal goals is to work for myself. So if that's not important to someone else, it doesn't matter. If you want to, if you're fine having a boss, then more power to you. But, uh, you know, having, having to have people look at you and look at the, the things that you've done and then judge you and, and ex- extend an invitation to come to their program. It's such a hard position to be in. And that's why, um, that's why another reason why I really like social media is because you can really cultivate an image. You can cultivate a brand on social media that will um, come before you. So instead of people searching for your name when they, when they see your application and then finding your high school track records, they will know your name already because they'll have seen you on Twitter and they'll know the type of person you are and they'll know the things that you've done. Um, and this image that you've cultivated, because let's be honest, we're all allowed to be the best versions of ourselves on the internet. Um, th- that is another reason why I love social media. It's because it, it is framing the conversation before you even go into that interview. So if you're um, if you're streaming on Twitch and you're starting to rage, you just turn it <laughs> off. Just you just bottle that up and you know, oh god, I'm just I'm having flashbacks later. to last Monday. Um, yeah, I mean I tend to rage. I don't rage rage. I I've, I'm playing Ocarina of Time Zelda right now on stream. Classic. Um, so you know you can't get that angry. And you're not like yelling at actual humans. You're yelling at like wolves and stuff. Or, or and, the, like, water the water temple. temple. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I tend to, I, 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 I do rein in certain things, you know, like I don't swear on stream. I don't, um, I try not to swear in, in life, um, like not, not in life, just to be clear, not in life, not in my professional life. Um, right. Just, and that's also just making the content more accessible and more kid friendly. Um, so yeah, you, it, it's a, it's, it's difficult sometimes. Uh, I relate to that. Um. <laughs> Well, I, uh, I think that's all I wanted to ask you. Is there a good place? If people wanted to contact you, how can they reach out to you? Uh, Twitter. Twitter is where it's at now. And in order to reach out to me, now you have to make a Twitter. Everyone has to make a professional Twitter. Um, I mean, <laughs> so, especially for PM&R. Like, like that's one yeah. thing I have noticed. Uh, there's so many people on Twitter for PM&R. Mm-hmm. It's a very huge community. So so yeah. what, what is your Twitter handle? So uh, the GamerDoc one is hash, er, hashtag at gamerdoc underscore at the end really rolls off the tongue. The uh, underscore symbol, but if you just type in gamerdoc, I'll come up. And then uh, the other less bo- more boring one is Dr. Miglior. So awesome. Just stick with the gamerdoc one, to be honest with you. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, Dr. Miglior, thank you so much. This has been awesome. I really enjoyed chatting with you and uh, you know, I'm excited to see what you do in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was, this was a pleasure, a Sunday morning pleasure. Mm-hmm.